0: That bell, believe it or not, was used by the driver of a motor car to give audible warning of approach, as they say, in the first years of the century. The bell belongs to a Wolseley car built in 1902. And that Wolseley is just one of hundreds of veteran and vintage cars that are lovingly restored and preserved by their owners all over Ireland. The Wolseley with the bell is part of a unique collection that belongs to Dennis Lucy a collection that includes a car designed and built in Ireland almost 80 years ago, a car that could have become the Irish Rolls-Royce. It was called the Silver Stream, and when Dennis Lucy showed us the car, it looked as pristine as it must have done when it first took to the road.
1: It's the first car assembled in Ireland. Not built in Ireland, assembled in Ireland. and In 1906... Philip Somerville Large, an Irish engineer, decided that the cars just weren't up to his standard and he'd build his own. So he went to France and he bought an engine and chassis. And he came to Kilcullen, his home, Canalway, Kilcullen, and this he set up his works, got belts and leads and so on, and formed his company, and assembled his car from this chassis and engine. He designed the bodywork and sent the chassis, the rolling chassis, back to England to a firm called Salmons, who were well-known coach builders, for Rose royce in particular, and they built the bodywork in the car. Got it back to Kilcullen, to find that he had run out of money or time or patience and he never built another he 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 supposed he couldn't afford to build another and that was the end of adventure
0: but the silver stream is a car that can still be seen occasionally on irish roads when dennis lucy takes it out for a rally there's no mistaking the fact that it looks not unlike an early rolls royce dennis lucy agrees that there is a similarity there is indeed it has six cylinders
1: which was very, very rare at the time because most cars were putting around with one, two, and four cylinders. Uh, one can consider it the first six cylinder car, but it is a very, very early six cylinder model. And it has other uh, similarities to Rose Rice, particularly in body styling. And of course, the bodies of the, as I've already said, the bodies and Rose Rices were built by uh, Salmons, who also built this body. Uh, Actually, it has two bodies. What you see here is the, the four-seater um, type. The back of this is detachable and is convertible to a two-seater. Detachable? Oh, yes. yes. The back can we just walk the around the back and have a look? Here, very little trouble. You take... You can see here where the division is, a few nuts and bolts. We'll remove this portion. And then...
0: Uh, so the the, the and the a, right, and then it's a shorter two-seater.
1: Yeah, the reason for this, if you can see this arrangement, which is unusual, the, the reason for it is that it can be used as a four-seater, with the hood erected. It can be used as a two-seater. These turn buttons here removes this end of it, so you can use it as a two-seater, with the dickey and the hood erected in front, and th- it can be used with the both hoods down so that it can be uh, converted very quickly into a
0: sporty runabout. Collecting veteran or vintage cars is, and nobody would deny it, an unusual hobby and a time-consuming hobby and often an expensive one. And one way to get yourself into trouble with collectors is to call the veteran or vintage cars old bangers. Pinbar Corey has become the official historian of this particular hobby.
2: I think it's important to let the world know that we have uh, a nice collection of cars in this country. I have uh, in my library at home a tremendous number of books written about motor cars, mostly about the cars of yesteryear. And uh, it surprised me how little was known about this country. So I decided to remedy that deficiency by trying to publish my own book. And uh, the book possibly represented a miracle because The first publisher I approached with it agreed to publish it. Some very eminent writers never had that sort of luck, as far as I can
0: know. You call it the automobile treasury? Treasury of
2: of Ireland, that's right, yes. I think that's a very suitable name because I regard these old cars as treasures. They're historical treasures, they're archaeological treasures, they're scientific treasures. Call them what you are. To me, they are treasures.
0: Treasures they may be, but to the layman, how is one to distinguish between a veteran car and a vintage car? or for that matter, what's called a classic car?
2: The veteran period runs from the beginning of motoring, let's say in practical terms from 1892 up to the end of 1918. And the vintage period runs from the beginning of 1919 up to the end of 1930. And what then is what is called a classic car? A classic car is any car outside those uh, age groups, which people consider worth uh, keeping and preserving and protecting, Um, In formal terms, uh, they apply to what are known as thoroughbred uh, classic cars, thoroughbred post-vintage thoroughbred cars, which are cars of unique make like, say, Daimler, Bentley, Rolls-Royce, which are post-1930, but which are kept as very unique examples of major uh, motor manufacturing craft.
0: And would even be post-World
2: War II. They are, in this country, there is a loose term for classic cars, and that applies to any motor vehicle built up to 20 years ago. So any car 20 years or older is, in our uh, terminology, a classic car today.
0: It was Swinbar Corrie who became, by accident, the historian of this hobby in Ireland. When he set out to track down these historic cars, was he surprised at the numbers?
2: I was, I was very surprised indeed, too, because one, one uh, person led me to another person, and this is the way I've discovered an awful lot of them. One enthusiast would say, now you've done my cars, would you like to know about some others? And I, w- I spent a very happy summer in 1978 travelling the country, photographing the cars and talking to their very enthusiastic owners. And I got a great lot of enjoyment and fun out of it.
0: And presumably you had to be very selective because in your book you classify about, what, 200 cars? About 223
2: or something like that. So what yes.
0: what percentage would that be of the overall total in possibly, the country?
2: Possibly a third to a fifth. It's very hard to know exactly how many are in the country because some of them, uh, I still don't even know about them and probably never will.
0: And what about the range of people who collect these cars?
2: All types of people. Shopkeepers, doctors, businessmen, veterinary surgeons, everybody around the country. Farmers, people of every uh, walk of life seem to have a great love for these old cars. And uh, many people, of course, have... Well, not many, a number of people have the old family car handed down to them, and they've protected it and kept it, and now it has become a great family heirloom. And I I love to see that. So that would be a good start. A lovely start, yes.
0: If, on the other hand, you didn't have a family heirloom in the shape of a motor car, uh, where would you begin?
2: Uh, Today, of course, uh, the world has changed so much that you have a problem of cost and price and availability, because in this country, no matter how much money you're prepared to pay for a very old car or a reasonably old car... There just doesn't seem to be the number of people uh, willing to sell at any price. The stock, the supply is very very, is, is, is very, is very small in, in, in the Republic of Ireland. It's also, I think, small in Northern Ireland, but I think the situation is more fluid there. You can, you can acquire cars there if you wish. They seem to be more willing to sell.
0: Of course, if you are a collector, you don't always have to buy a car that's in good condition. One of the particular pleasures of some collectors is to roll back the years by rebuilding the cars of the past. John Cabner is a collector we met who was working on what looked like not so much a vintage car as a vintage wreck. This was a delage that once belonged to the great John Count McCormack.
3: I found it and got it from Samuel Holmes, the engineer who works in Monster F. And
0: do you know where has it been all these years? It
3: has been lying down there ever since, but I believe that Mr Holmes himself drove it for a number of years after purchasing it from uh, the Count. McCormack, in about 28, 29. Mm, mm. So after that, uh, it's uh, it was in, on the, in the 30s I should
0: say that uh, uh, Mr Holmes drove it. Did he McCormack wasn't. drive it himself? Oh he did, he I did. Believe, yeah. 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 yeah he did. And in those days, what, what sort of a car was it, Delage? How good a car was well, it? Well
3: they reckoned it as being the uh, French Rolls Royce, in those days. Very uh, high class motor car.
0: She's a very big car. She's With a seven seater, actually. A seven seater.
3: Seven seater, uh, open tour. I reckon that she's about around a uh, two litre hmm. present rating.
0: So, what we're seeing, I mean, there would have been a hood over this body. Oh, yes, there's
3: a uh, the hood,
0: collapsible hood that uh,
3: folds up there. You let it up and down. Something similar to the uh, the feet there. Is there anything left of the hood? Uh, no, no. Only the uh, I have one side of the uh, the, the, the hinge, should I say, that holds the uh, the wooden uh, hood stakes. So of course the hood stakes, but th- that's uh, that's only a minor thing. If I had
0: the other, and that presumably this green was the original colour.
3: Well, no, that's uh, that's debatable. I think it? that's uh, it, some say it was green, but I think it. All those delages in those early days were a very dark blue. Now, whether that's uh, an, an unusual one, I don't know, but I'm trying to trace back on the different various coats there to see is there any sign of a blue. I came across one bit on the axle of a, a very dark blue, which uh, recalls what I said. That's the delages always made their cars
0: blue. So if you find it was blue, you'll restore it Oh, I'll restore it if it's as, uh,
3: in blue if, it's, if I find blue dressing. If not, I'll put the dark green on it.
0: How long is it going to take you to restore this delage?
3: I reckon about this time next year I should have her on the rod. Is that,
0: a, is that a good... Is that, you know, oh, yes, that fast for you?
3: That should be a reasonable time now. I should have it done uh, in 12 months now. Now that I've got the other various bits that I was short of, See, I was shorted a few bits, which I came across in the last year or so. And uh, I reckon that I should have her on the road this day. Twelve
0: months, anyway. So, in other words, you've got everything now? I've everything. Now, only hard work. Hours. So, when it's ready, John McCormick, if he were around, would recognise oh, it. he'd be quite it. pleased
3: with it, yeah. say that.
0: Collectors like to roll back the years, not just by restoring these cars, but by talking about their history. Dennis Lucy began his collecting when his father gave him a lamp from a crossly tender.
1: You know, I I think uh, I was born a collector. I have collected all my life. Lamps, gold coins, stamps and what have you. And then one day I got an old car lamp. This formed the nucleus of this whole collection. Every item you see here was built around this solitary lamp. My father gave it to me. 40 years later I've still got it he told me it came from an old military vehicle in Ballin Barracks the night it was burned what he was doing in Ballin Barracks that night is another story anyway I searched for the comrade for it but I never got the comrade but I got another lamp and another lamp and this developed into this whole collection
0: and then the cars
1: Uh, uh, yes well being a veterinary surgeon in the 50s gave me access to farmyards around South Leinster. And I found these a great source of material. Of course, nobody was interested in these old wheels and I had a policy of keeping my eyes open and the boot filled. And this is what it developed into.
0: Apart from his unique silver stream of 1908, Dennis Lucy has cars in his collection of an even earlier period. This is is a
1: 1904 Germain, which was built in Brussels and is a unique car in that it was a racing chassis. This car never raced but the chassis and engine were, 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 um, could be used for racing. It's a very big motor car as you can see and it is completely original down to the upholstery which is excellent.
0: It's got the most it enormous brass lamps yes, I've seen in any, yes, any they're car this period. they're original
1: too, they're from the 1903 or 4 period.
0: And the wheels? Wheels, are enormous.
1: Uh, yes. The wheels are 36 inches, these are the only problem I have. The tyres the, the for the front wheels are unobtainable, so I've got to, I've got to um, I don't drive it very much for that reason, as you can see the tyres are not good, but it is a beautiful car to drive and it's capable of Say, almost 70 miles an hour. When you consider that the Silver Stream in 1908 could do 30 to 40. Two years, three years, four years earlier this was capable of well over 70 miles an hour.
0: Dennis Lucy likes to remind you that Wolseley, the man who started making the Wolseley cars, was Irish. And Dennis has a very early Wolseley, the car whose bell we heard at the start of this programme.
1: We're looking at a 1902 Wolseley, and it's car number 168, which is the 168th car built by Wolseleys, and when you consider that the first 40 were non-production models, were just engines on a bench for experimental purposes, and the next was a single cylinder cycle car. This is the earliest survivor of a Woolsley car because uh, you can see it is a car it's quite a, a biggish car for the period and it's completely original down to the paintwork which believe is it dark or not. green dark green yes with black with, wood with, 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 with black uh, linings and the original crest
0: oh I see the crest yes, yes, yes. well
1: I have cleverly uh, patched up this paint it was a bit dodgy but you can see we have a few splits still but nevertheless I preserved it that is the original green paintwork on the bodywork. That is not, but the green is. And the crest says Dum vigilo tutus. And I do believe that it says, while I'm vigilant, I'm safe. Which is and in 1902, it meant the same as it does today. Uh, the wings are mudguards, are patent leather and are beautifully preserved. Yes, that is the original. Soft. The bodywork is also unusual in that it is described as a rare entrance tonneau. So you go in from the back. You go in from the like back. Like a Georgian car. Oh, yes, it's With actually. The sideways. Yeah, it shows the, the, the evolution of the car from the horse carriage of the period. And also, I- the car was chain driven so that y- you couldn't really have a side entrance. You had to get up Let and over the chains. Uh, this, of course, is the uh, umbrella stand. Umbrella. So you had uh, your umbrella because the there wasn't any top. This ca- top is not original. Uh, you um. had no. You carried your umbrella, and you when it rained, you put. Well, at least the passengers did. They put up their umbrellas from. <laughs>
0: <keep> the <laughs> and fries. do you have the oh registration plate? Uh, yes, one. One,
1: which is the first car registered in County Leitrim. Belonged to a family called Lairds of Drumshendal.
0: And although Wolseley may be an English firm, I mean Wolseley was in fact an Irishman, wasn't
1: right, he? Right, right. Wolseley, Frederick Wolseley, was born in Dublin, and emigrated to Australia, where he started making sheep-shearing machinery. I know he came back to England and set up his company, but the British consider the Woolsey Car Manufacturing Company as being the first British manufacturer. But in reality, you could consider it as being the first Irish manufacturer because he was an Irishman, even though he built his cars in
0: England. So therefore, this car is in this a suitable place. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This is the first Irish manufactured car. There's also in Dennis Lucy's collection a Wolseley Sidley from 1910, a car that belonged to the gore Booths in Sligo and was known to the poet W.B. Yeats. Uh, the Countess
1: rode in the car many times. She never actually drove it. I met the chauffeur many years ago, but he said he, he drove her in it several times, but she never actually drove the car. Yeats, William Butler Yeats, also rode in the car. He was a friend of the family.
0: But they never took uh, it to Dublin? Uh,
1: Sure about that. Now I know it was sent back to Birmingham. In later years, to have improvements put in it, but I, I, I think most of its of its well, this is a very high mileage. In fact, I think this car is about 150,000 miles in it, because it remained in the Goldboot family until the
0: 50s. Every now and then, these cars take to the road. Rallying is very
4: much get together time for the car collector. Just turn on the petrol. Once the petrol turned on, you turn on the ignition. You check your choke. And you, then you just see, can you get a string and we see what happens now? should go. No, no. Would you press that starter down there, Ann, please? No, the starter on, on the thing there. She won't start it. Good. She goes like that, better. Like that. Better off than the stop times.
0: And away they go, Michael Tynan and Anne Tynan starting their 1921 Renault at a rally near Dublin. Those are the sounds of motor car horns, whistles, claxons sounds from the glory days of motoring. And you'll hear them whenever there's a rally of veteran and vintage cars held in Ireland. The collectors appear for the occasion with their vehicles, not just from all over the country, but from across the water as well. We met John Ward, who had brought his 1921 Vauxhall on the ferry to Dublin. This Vauxhall is one of the first vintage sports cars, and its owner calls it a wolf in sheep's clothing.
5: We came from Manchester to Liverpool on the motorway, and uh, it it cruises very nice. It will cruise at sixty all day. Is that it's good for him? Um, yes, I think so. We you have to do is to remember just to take your foot off from time to time to get a bit of uh, lubricant up into the uh, into the bores. Um, they weren't really designed for constant high speed use, but uh, if, you, if you just ease off every now and then, it you know it's, it goes very well. Any problems in driving? Uh? Not really. Uh, the, the brakes don't really match up to the performance. You have to look a long way ahead. But because you sit rather high in the car, you get a good view ahead, so that does compensate a little bit. You can see over the, you can see the road in front of the car in front of you. Is this one of many cars you have, or is this the only one you keep? Uh, no, I have, um, I have two other vintage cars in running order, and I have two others that, that are in bits that I'm slowly working on, so I've got five altogether.
0: Can you tell me what it is that wants to make you buy car like
5: this? Well, it's a hobby that all the family can can enjoy, and really
0: it's almost two hobbies
5: in in one, because in the summer you can enjoy events like this one, Uh, and in the winter you can tinker in the garage and enjoy doing jobs on it, and uh, it's more of a practical hobby then, and uh, I enjoy both sides equally, really. But when you say the family can enjoy it, you
0: mean you allow the family to climb over this car?
5: Yes, as far as I'm concerned it's a family thing and it's there to be used, and if it gets a few scratches on it, well that's just too bad.
0: At these rallies, you'll hear the names of long-forgotten cars. Hopmobile, Belsize, Singer, Argyle, Martini, Scat, Swift, Sunbeam. We met Eddie Ryan at a rally driving a 1923 Lanchester.
6: I would think that this car a 6-litre engine,
0: which is a very
6: large engine. It was uh, made for chauffeur-driven um, If you look at some of the features by the special window for speaking to the driver to give instructions. Um, And you could lock off the rear compartment completely from the driver so that if you left the car, uh, the driver could only, in fact, uh, operate in his own compartment. Um, Those would be the main features, I would think. Other than there's quite a lot of brass work, real brass work on
0: the engine, if you like, to have a look at it. And like many of these cars, has it got front brakes as well as rear brakes?
6: No, this, this car has only rear brakes, a rear, large rear drum brakes and a differential brake. Uh, it has no brakes on the front wheels.
0: Does that cause a problem to you when you're driving it?
6: No problem to me uh, at all because I'm used to it and uh, I use both brakes uh, when I'm stopping. Um, slowing down, the foot brake is sufficient, but if you were to stop in a hurry, you would need both But another little feature would be that the accelerator uh, on the car is in between the clutch and the handbrake. It's in the middle,
0: in other words. That's quite difficult. So you have to think. Very much so. (laughs) If you get from your normal 1980s car into that car... You have to think very, very carefully, very carefully for quite a while. Theo Ryan was driving a 1926 Model T in the rally. He's a member, like most collectors, of the Irish Veteran and Vintage Car Club, which has direct links with the international body. How did his interest in collecting early cars begin?
4: Well, I think, mm, accidentally, my brother, who was a doctor, was more interested in cars than I am, and he so enthused my daughter that she saved up, and uh, with a bit of help, we went off and we bought a baby Ford, one of the originals, 1935. And we drove that for a couple of years... And then we wanted something a little more comfortable because the baby Ford wasn't the most comfortable car. So I bought a 35 Austin 10 Tourer. Touring cars are by far the more popular. You'll notice that a lot of these cars here are touring bodies on them, soft tops, take down the hood. And that's what people really like, and that makes the car much more valuable. So from then I got associated with the club and I enjoy the Sunday runs. Right throughout the summer, we do a lot of Sunday runs. We do a lot of charity work. The Lions and various disabled drivers and various other bodies like that. Sometimes we get a bit too much of it. But um, our main rallies though are the Spring Rally, the Gordon Bennett, which is the only international rally. you have the history of it there. Uh, the Autumn Rally, and then the rallies in the provinces, the Munster Motorcycling Car Club, and the Western Club, and the famous Tipperary Stone Throwers Run. That's a, a memorable affair for anybody who wants a good weekend. But um, what happens there? Well, they do a little driving during the rally, all right. A little and driving. A little driving and plenty of celebration and good fun. It's, it's a good, it's a good weekend if you have a co-pilot with you.
0: Whether you do a little driving or a lot of driving, what does it cost to collect and maintain a veteran or a vintage car these days?
4: Depend entirely on the amount of tin work you've got to do in timber work the body is the all important thing if you can get a body that's reasonably good you have a pretty good chance mechanics mechanical parts they can pick up fairly well but any car is restorable provided the right man restores it that she's kept genuine genuine specifications parts in that you see some cars are done up but uh, they wouldn't pass the vet as we say because there's too many false parts and other things in them What's the least you could expect to pay? Well, you can buy the makers of good cars for thousand pounds, but then you'll spend four, five, six after that.
0: But car collecting seems to be a very male-dominated hobby. That yeah, women, women don't collect. That is true. Women don't cars. seem to collect on their own, though they do uh, participate
2: in the rallies in which their husbands are uh, engaged, and they have been known to polish headlamps and things like that, and even to repair and uh, renew uh, things like uh, upholstery. And so they do play their part. But as individuals, they don't seem to collect cars themselves. There are one or two exceptions to that, of course. But by and large, no, the women seem to stand back and let the husbands do all the the hard work. And I I suppose it is hard work, because basically what you're talking about is hard garage-type work, which is maybe not
0: suitable for women, I don't know. Among the few notable women collectors was Letitia Overend, who died a few years ago. Her 1927 Rolls-Royce, which she always drove herself, was a familiar sight around Dublin for many, many years. She learned to service and maintain the Rolls, and she became the longest continuous Rolls-Royce owner in the world. (coughs) If you want to find your way around a rally of veteran and vintage cars, there's no better man to guide you than the historian of the Irish Veteran and Vintage Car Club, Finbar Corrie.
2: This is a a British entry, actually. It's the 1926 Bullnose Morris Cowley four-seater, a beautifully prepared car, I think, and a very good looker, too.
0: It's a uh, navy blue.
2: It says navy blue colour with black running gear, and the reason the wings the, uh, and the wings were black was because it was the easiest colour to repair, because it was the most likely p- part of the car to get knocked about. So black was very easy to match. <clears throat> Maroon again, and black uh, running gear and wings. 1921 Renault. Uh, you notice the famous coal scuttle uh, bonnet. Very unusual bonnet. It's a very unusual bonnet. And another very unusual feature, uh, again, it comes down from the veteran period, is the uh, radiator behind the engine, not in front of the engine as in the normal motor car. And in, strange enough, woodwork at the front of the car. Woodwork? Well, these cars re- lo- relied on wood for a tremendous amount of their construction. Behind all their bodies are wood panels. This this was the way the coach builder uh, built the uh, horse-drawn carriages. And, of course, the motor car took over directly from the... The horse uh, vehicle builders' art and craft, and the
0: handle here—that's part of the. uh, You don't actually slot it in; (laughs) it's there permanently, is it? Uh, In some
2: cars, it's there permanently. Some cars you slot it in, but in this particular car, it's a permanent feature, and uh, it's a very useful thing to have because it keeps the engine in very good condition, just to keep it turned over when you're not using the car for maybe weeks on end.
0: The green car here with the. uh, This is
2: now a lovely, a lovely representative from the veteran period, and that means before 1918. This is a 1906. Woolsey Sidley, a 20 horsepower car, uh, the bodywork is Roi de Belge, King of the Belgians. It comes down from the Belgian royal family, this style of car. It's an open car. It's an open car, um, (coughs) four-seater, very rudimentary driving gear, but an immensely strongly built uh, vehicle. It's uh, what we call, it's a car from the brass age, because you'll notice that the radiator, the lamps, and all the fittings are are brass. So it's uh, known in our particular group as a car from the brass age. Which I think is rather romantic.
0: And that seems incredibly good shape, for That's,
2: its it, that's age. in practically as new condition, I would say. Yes, and it runs extremely well also. Uh, this, of course, is a descendant of the famous uh, Prince Henry of of 1914. This is a 1921 version, uh, E type side valve engine. And uh, I believe, uh, I haven't seen it, but I believe that this car can, on the British motorways, do 100 miles an hour. It's a really fabulous machine. And it's a well-known car, too. It belonged to Chorrox, David Chorrox, of the famous Supercharger family fame. So it's a well-known and a very famous car. This is a 1923 uh, Peugeot. Uh, Bra model, I think. It's a very original car. Uh, he found it. He found it, I think, in 19, the 1950s. And if I remember correctly, I think he paid 10 pounds for it. It was found in an advertisement in the old Dublin Evening Mail, and that's the history of that car. Terribly original car. A wonderful, a wonderful rallying car, and it has participated in numerous rallies uh, since he since he got it so many years ago. John, of course, is a tremendous Peugeot fan. He has a large collection of Peugeots. And uh, this is his pride and joy because I think it's his oldest one
0: to date. Yeah. We mentioned Letitia Overend, whose 1927 Rolls-Royce was a familiar sight in Dublin. If you go to a rally these days, you're likely to see another famous Rolls-Royce, a 1914 silver ghost that belongs to Hugh Rowe. This Rolls has been seen in films like The Blue Max and Darling Lily. But if you looked carefully at those movies, you might have noticed that the man who was driving, James Mason or Julie Andrews, was no movie star but the owner himself. Hureau will let nobody but nobody drive his precious Rolls Royce. Well
7: first of all I'm only the second owner. And the first owner was Sir Stanley Cocker of Woodbrook. And I bought it at his executor sale for the munificent sum of twenty pounds. Thirty six years ago. And when you bought it, was it in such good condition as it is now? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, the engine the engine was perfect yes. absolutely perfect uh, paint wise it was bad, tyres, and things like that, they're only small things really, but the car was perfect and I got it
0: £20? £20. £20. What would it be worth now? well your
7: guess is as good as mine <laughs> I don't know, £35, 40 some, some people say 50 I don't know, £1,000 Thousand. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll never know the value of it it'll never be for sale in my time how many miles up on that uh, we reckon it's done about 250,000 uh, so Stanley uh, in his time toured South Africa it? and that's why the rack is on top I'm told for the luggage and all that kind of thing just and looking th- at the bonnet it's an incredible sight from where we sit now in the, uh, okay, the front seat it is it's is. Uh, 60 horse and uh, dual ignition coil and mag Twelve plugs, six for each. And uh, <laughs> I've been really ashamed to tell you that the, the, the road tax, nine
0: hundred pounds. My goodness, <laughs> on on the steering wheel there, all the controls seem to be on the wheel. Well,
7: yes, but manual everything is that an, manual. Is
0: that unusual for for that vintage? I uh,
7: know, no, no, no. That's no, an order. It's an order that vintage. Um, they're just just manual retarders and advances and just the governor here for setting the petrol. And the choke, that's the choke. Start him there and work him back as he warms up to there. And uh,
8: that's about all.
7: Of course, the, the, even the uh, charging the dynamo, charging the battery is manual. You have to switch her on and switch her off. And starting the car itself, oh, well, well, I put a self starter on. Put you put it a self starter. 12, Twelve years ago, yeah. But in in the old days, you would have had to. Oh, I did have to swing it for years.
0: Swing the handle. Swing it. Yeah, doctor's orders. That you don't swing that anymore. <laughs> on the right here, what is this coming up on the on the? Uh oh, this is the horn. That's the horn. You'd <laughs> have to, get my you have to do down. that again because it didn't. The sound the horn makes on this Rolls Royce is a little bit feeble. In fact, it's undignified for such a dignified car. But nothing else is disappointing about Hugh Rose Rolls Royce.
7: Nobody drives it only myself. Nobody, absolutely nobody. Only myself. Anyway, the insurance doesn't allow anybody else. But uh, I've had it in five or six films. And among the people I've had in the car was James Cagney and Julie Andrews. Mm. And some other lesser ones, I've forgotten their names. But they've never been allowed near the driving seat? Nobody, nobody, nobody. Uh, One film I was in, they brought over a fellow from England specially to drive
0: it. There was an awful row over that. He didn't. So, in the fact you got into films because of this beautiful car? Oh, yes, car. Yeah, yes.
7: yes. Oh, well, a lot of these cars get into films, you know, because I mean they want one of a certain vintage, certain year, they either want a saloon or an open one. I mean, they're up to the films that this wouldn't be in, it wouldn't suit them. But they're, they're always calling out these cars for films. How often do you drive it? Well, it's out from May to September. Those are the rally times, and we don't bother. We couldn't afford it anyway. Two tier.
0: But you wouldn't drive it in the normal
7: course of events as a daily car? No, no way. No way. Couldn't afford that. I mean, it only does 11 to the gallon. and uh, You couldn't park it anywhere anyway. And if you did park it in the street or anywhere, it should be pulled to bits. So well, that's just it.
0: Only one other car seems to exercise the same fascination as a vintage Rolls, and that's a vintage Model T Ford. Dennis Lucy has one that he drives at rallies. This is a very original
1: Model T from 1922.
0: It's such a big looking car, people think of a Model T as a small Ford, but it is a big car, isn't it? No.
1: Yes, yes, it has a big engine, an engine of 24 horsepower, but really uh, the, it, you consider it as a small car because the body is very, very light. Yes. This is why it was called the Tin Lizzy. Has a got, it has got a tinny Oh, yeah, feeling, hasn't yeah, it? Tin Lizzie, right, right. Yes. But it's the power to weight race. You With a high horsepower engine and a light body, you could do 50, 60 mile an hour.
0: Some members of the Irish Veteran and Vintage Car Club, whose numbers have grown in 21 years to well over 300, also travel to events outside Ireland. And the most challenging of these is the London to Brighton Run. Larry Adler wrote that music for Genevieve, a film made back in the 1950s about the Brighton run. John Kavanagh, the man who has rescued John McCormick's Delage from oblivion, is himself a veteran of the annual 57-mile run from London to Brighton. The first one was back in 1896, and if you want to enter, your car has got to be pre-1905. John Cabner drives a 1904 Sidley.
3: Most cars at that time were small. Well, most of the firms made this, started on the small car, and then eventually branched out into oh. a, quite a large car. But uh, then they made... <laughs> number of big cars in those eh, back in 1904 as well.
0: So it's really only a two-seater. That's all. So you you travel with just a, a passenger or yourself? And there's no windscreen. No windscreen. No, no. You don't no use a windscreen. You don't use a windscreen. But you have and your goggles, I see, in the back. Here. Oh yes.
3: In those days, the very few cars had windscreens. They bought them afterwards as a, as a necessary. Um, you could fit them. Other firms made them for various cars and you went in and just bought just the same as the lamps. Lamps weren't supplied with the cars in those days. You just went in and bought your set of lamps made by somebody, some firm that made the lamps. And uh, the same thing applied with the uh, windscreens, I believe. You went in and they'd fit fit you out a windscreen with the bench, different angles. And that's how... In that only in the early days, and then as they went along then to see the car was completely uh, supplied with
0: windscreen lamps and all.
3: But in the very early days you just had to fit them out yourself.
0: So whatever about all the work you have to put into restoring a car and the enthusiasm you need, when you, when you ride, it, would drive it in, a, in uh, a run like the Brighton run, that's a long trip without a windscreen. Is it uncomfortable? It is uncomfortable when it's raining.
3: Yeah, you can get quite sore eyes when it's raining. But that particular car, that's at the speed it runs now, is about 25 mile an hour. So you don't feel it in 25 mile an hour. But in, that, the, in the scat there, I drove that in the garden then last uh, last season there, and it rained. But I had a sore eyes for the following week. I couldn't see. Were you we wearing goggles? I, well, part of the time I couldn't find them at first, and originally <laughs> they were in at the back. Sunglasses. anything at all to... Uh, It's the wind and the the blast of wind.
0: Still, John Kavanagh hopes to enter, once again, the Brighton run this year. Depending where you live, this year, or next year, or maybe even last year, marks the 100th anniversary of the motor car. Britain says it's this year. Germany says it's 1986. In fact, the Italians also said it was 1984. Centenario del primo veicolo a benzina, the centenary of the first petrol car. We asked Finbar Corrie to adjudicate... It
2: depends on which country uh, you're living in. The French held that the year 1984 was the true centenary of the motor car. Some of the British maintain that 1985, this year, is the centenary. But the Germans are holding firm to the view that 1986 is the real, true and genuine centenary of the motor car. It was the 1886, you see, was the year in which the first practical four-wheeled motor car was uh, developed by uh, Gottlieb Daimler and the Germans, and uh, FIFA, the international controlling body, uh, maintained that 1986 is the year. So, what are we in Ireland
0: saying? Well, we're in.
2: The Ireland is going along with the international view. Um, we're going along with the Germans, uh, maybe for diplomatic reasons, political reasons. We have sponsorship, of course, but also there is good historical uh, fact behind the 1986 uh, year of designation.
0: It's not a controversy that's going to bother the hundreds of veteran and vintage car collectors. No matter what future revolution awaits us in the field of transport, there are those among us who will remain obsessed with the transport that previous generations enjoyed. So why do they collect these cars?
7: Well, I was always interested in driving, always interested in cars. I'm driving since I was 10, having started on a Model T, which I drove for years. So I grew up with them, you
0: might say. But what is it, though, that makes you want to buy a car like this?
7: Uh, Just the love of driving it and mucking around with it. That's just Uh, it. I like driving. That's our hobby. Luckily, my wife's the same hobby. But you've got to give it so much care and attention. Oh, yes. Well, that's part of the job. It's the hobby. Do you polish it yourself, clean it yourself? Absolutely everything. The whole thing.
0: It's gleaming at the moment. How often do you do do a a polish job?
7: Nearly every time it comes out wash them down and polish them up. But once you get it up that stage, it's easy enough.
1: I reckon it's a disease and an incurable one indeed, but I hope they live a long time with it. Uh,
2: I can't remember a time in my life when I wasn't interested in motor cars as such. And uh, they say that your interest begins from the very moment you cut something out of your newspaper, from the time you begin clipping things out of the papers. And as far as I can remember, 1953 was the year that I took my first press cutting. So really? let us it say it's 31 years. Sometime what was that interested. cutting? Can you remember? It was a cutting about a 1904 uh, Winton car, something to do with the London to Brighton run or something, some, some Irish connection. So that was where I started.
4: A lot of others spend money on golf, athletics, racing, coursing, and uh, we like to... It's a great interest and it's a challenge because the type of car I'm driving today now, under no stretch of the imagination is it great fun if you like it's a challenge every hour of the way you know not when you hope somebody has a toro
1: Most of the lawlessness and bad behaviour of the period was associated with the aristocratic, privileged or professional classes. We're more egalitarian now. As Joe Arton put it, today we live in an age of equality. All classes are criminal.
8: Saying goodbye for the umpteenth time The mind, like a pensioner, drifts on a favourite walk Up the living road, towards the bogs that flood and colour everywhere No doubt it could catch this side of Athlone Those obvious moments along the Shannon But that's a bit much just now There being so little one can cope with So I go up and up the same way in hope as far as the Cross River, lean over the bridge and join the weeds, the ancient shadowings of water. Somewhere out there, like a hint of smoke on the breeze, Clonmac Noise rises in thought, a graveyard wide with unheard goodbyes. The sky goats are whinnying high, high in a summer evening, cutting sad, happy Celtic circles over our heads. The hedges have greened. I am walking very slowly, listening to my father. And so we conclude
9: our music and musings in which we heard Bell's Books and Bookmen from Alistair Smythe, then William Wilde and his many facets from J.B. Lyons, Mary Russell told us about business with Arab traders, Norman Smythe about meeting with a Spaniard, The fashionable ferns were described by Charles Nelson and Jerry O'Malley on Georgian times. Finally, Desmond Egan read his poem, A Favourite Walk. The music included the excerpt from Microcosm by Bartok, then we heard part of The Perfect Fool by Holst, played by the London Symphony Orchestra, Julian Bream played a fandango, My Homeland was the title of the James Galway piece, And then, the Allegro from Concerto in G Minor by Vivaldi. And finally, Farewell, Dear Love, a lute duet with Martin Best. I hope you've enjoyed the program, and from all of us to you, a very good day.